The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. One of the most important things we need today is a boldness and confidence in the gospel. And I found that young people and adults in the church only have that boldness when they know what they believe, why they believe it. That's what gives us boldness. He's a young apologist making a difference in strengthening the faith of many people, many young people, just as his father has done for many years. You'll meet Sean McDowell on this edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Before we get started, let me point you to our website for additional information and resources. It's firstpersoninterview.com. Take the time to visit the site to learn more about this week's guest, as well as past interviews. And if you'd like to download any of those past interviews for listening anytime, use our smartphone app. It's free on both the Apple and Android platforms, and it makes listening to First Person easy anytime it's convenient for you. Search for First Person Interview in your app store. Once again, First Person Interview. Sean McDowell, along with others, has produced a faith-strengthening curriculum for teens called Advocates. And through the Awana ministry, this is being used by many. We'll learn about that from Sean coming up. Via Skype, I talked with Sean, who is the son of Josh and Dottie McDowell, and I asked him if there was more to his coming to Christ than just growing up in a Christian home. There was, yeah. I think it's impossible for anybody to understand my story apart from my parents. My parents have been on Camps Crusade staff, my mom four decades, my dad five decades plus. And probably a lot of your listeners will recognize my, my dad's name. I know you guys have been friends for years, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Josh McDowell, writer, speaker, apologist. I, you know, growing up, always kind of believed Christianity was true. It made sense to me. Never had big doubts. In fact, to be honest, looking back, I probably thought people weren't Christians because they just hadn't read evidence that demands a verdict or more than a carpenter. (laughs) Yeah, that's all it takes, right? (laughs) As shallow as it seems, I probably would have thought, you know what, like, here's the evidence. How hard is it? And of course, as you get older, things are more nuanced and difficult and not quite as black and white. But I remember growing up hearing amazing stories like my father's just from an abusive background, coming to Christ, being in a church where we highlight these powerful testimonies. And I remember kind of thinking, if God's going to use you, you've got to come out of prison or come out of a gang or come out of brokenness. And I remember thinking, gosh, my life is kind of boring in comparison. But then interestingly, looking back, there was an experience I had that has been encouraging to a lot of people. And it was when I was about 19 years old. 19 or 20 at Biola University, interestingly enough, it's mid-90s, so the internet is really hitting and being publicly accessible. I get online and find all of these articles and blogs that were responding to my dad's material. In fact, I've since learned that the secular web really began responding to evidence that demands a verdict. And Wayne, it really took me off guard. I mean, these historians and doctors and scientists going chapter by chapter dismantling, or at least trying to dismantle a lot of the stuff my father argued. Now, looking back, I see some of their arguments, and I think I can't believe I ever really thought that was valid. But at that time, it was really unsettling. Yeah. And I remember thinking, gosh, my parents mean well. They have integrity, but what if they're wrong? What if I was raised in a different home? And those questions really troubled me. 
And I remember going to my dad. We were in Breckenridge, Colorado, you know, just beautiful ski town up in the mountain, a couple hours outside of Denver. And we sat down for coffee, and I just said, Dad, I want you to know something. I, I want to know what's true, but I'm not sure I'm convinced Christianity is really true, not knowing what my father, the great apologist, would say. And he looked at me and he goes, son, I think that's great. And I paused and I was stunned. Like, yeah, how can this guy? That, that's a pretty brave thing to say to Josh McDowell as his son. <laughs> yeah. You know, you never know. You don't want to disappoint your parents. My dad was already world famous by this stage. And I didn't know how he responded. I thought, like, did you mishear me? And he goes, no, I heard you. He goes, look, this is good. You can't live your life on my convictions. Mm. You got to know what you think is true. And I would encourage you to seek truth wherever you find it. And if you follow truth, you'll be led to Jesus because he is the truth. And then he said, don't give up anything you've learned growing up unless you think it's not true. Make truth your standard. And you know your mom and I will love you no matter what. And I can just tell you, looking back, that was freeing for me. What a wise approach to take to to a boy. Man. I, I really think so. You know, one of the interesting things my dad has done is he practiced all the kinds of things that us kids might say to him. Like, hey... You know, I had sex before I was married or dad, I'm gay or whatever those scenarios are. He had actually practiced how he would respond and he had practiced this. What if one of my kids says, I don't believe it. And so he responded. My dad's also kind of the, you know, glasses, not half empty, not half full. The glass is like 95% full, (laughs) consummate optimist. So he responded that way. And, you know, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but it was freeing for me. And I think I knew this in my my mind, but in my heart, like, gosh, my parents really do love me no matter what. But second, I've got to find out for myself what I think is true. So reading other religious texts, reading atheists, reading Christians, really giving myself the freedom to follow truth wherever it led. And of course, because I'm here today, I, I, I think Christianity really is true. Yeah, that, that's such a great story, Sean. Who were some of the Christian thinkers then that you began to, to uh, delve into? You know, what's interesting is it, it wasn't my dad, and that's probably funny for people to hear. Well, you were too close. We partly were too close. And you look at all the great stories, you know, it's common in film. Like you need a mentor outside of your family to kind of come in and help you discover truth in some fashion, whether it's Gandalf or Mr. Miyagi, whatever. <laughs> And so for me, those Mr. Miyagi's and Gandalf's were people like William Lane Craig, people like Richard Swinburne, people like N.T. Wright, people like J.P. Moreland, Greg Kokel. And, you know, I read a lot of people that disagreed with me, not just those who agreed with me. But one of the differences between my father and I is he's very legal kind of law thinking, like let's make a case historically based. I'm a little bit more philosophical in how I approach. So some of those philosophers in particular really were meaningful uh, to me in my journey. Interesting. Then who were some of your mentors? I had a few mentors. Uh, some were my basketball coaches at Biola, uh, Coach Holmquist, people like uh, Shane Renner, Matt Misick, just mentored me in life. My resident assistant, Rob Lone, really just spent time listening to me, talking through like my life and my experiences and my faith. And then people like Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason, people like J.P. Moreland has been a mentor to me, and even people like Bill Craig. They're some of my colleagues now. We teach together at Biola. But whether it was through conversations I got to have or just reading their books and seeing them speak, 
uh, they mentored me pretty pretty significantly. Yeah, that's that's very important. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I knew some of those people were, but I didn't know about a few of the other names there. So, well, thanks for sharing all that, Sean. It really is fascinating how God leads people to faith, and yours is a, a unique story. But now you have a you have a passion, don't you, to lead others to Christ? I really do. I have a passion in particular for this next generation. And when I started wrestling with what I wanted to do with my life, I veered towards apologetics, certainly because, you know, my dad's an apologist. There's, you know, I could never separate just his life and how he's influenced me from what I do, of course. But I also said, you know, if I'm going to reach this generation, how do I reach him? And I started to realize you spend five minutes with students and they do have questions. Why did God allow my parents to suffer? Is the Bible really true? How do I know Christianity is the only way? How do I make sense of these moral and social issues? So I realized if I was going to make sense and really help this next generation, I had to help them think about and apply the faith to their life. So in me, that's been my writing, been my speaking. I teach high school part-time. I'm now full-time at Biola in a graduate apologetics program. But when it's all said and done, my heart and faith is, yes, reaching the lost, but also taking Christians to own their faith, apply it to their life, know why they believe what they believe, and then just make a difference with how they live. So if you had a choice to spend a day uh, just studying or the day speaking to young people, which would you choose? That is an impossible choice (laughs) because you know what? I have arranged my life where I do both. If I just speak to students, I probably get a little worn out and I feel like, gosh, I need to study. I need to learn. I need to be thinking on the cutting edge. On the flip side, if I'm just studying, I sit there over time. I'm like, I got to apply this. I got to tell somebody about what I've learned. So I get energy out of both of those. And part of the trick of my life is to balance how much time I do one and the other. You know, I never fully have that figured out, but I just, I can't pick. I love doing both of those. (laughs) I won't make you pick. I I really won't. Uh, Sean, how would you characterize this generation of young people? Whatever label you want to put on them, you spend time talking with them and encouraging them and teaching Uh, How would you characterize them? Well, interestingly enough, there's a new book by a sociologist by the name of Gene Twenge from San Diego State University, and it's called iGen, like the letter I, like iPhone or iPad. And she says the most defining characteristic, and I think she's right, of Generation Z, which is maybe those five to seven, roughly to 21, 22 that come after millennials. The defining characteristic is they're the first truly digital generation. Many of them have learned to swipe iPhones and iPads before they could even talk Mm -hmm. or before they could even read. So if you want to understand how this generation feels, how they think, how they communicate, it has to be through the lens of the smartphone. Now, there's other characteristics of this generation. I think socially, they're a little bit more progressive. I think this generation is deeply biblically illiterate. But when it's all said and done, I think the most important characteristic, how they think about God, how they understand each other, how they understand the world, is through social media. We'll continue talking with Sean McDowell and learn about his partnership with Awana coming up on First Person. Stay with us. I'm so grateful for the grace I received while listening to FBBC all day long. I cried listening to God's message multiple times. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional from FEBC telling more listener stories while at the same time it encourages you from God's Word. 
Receive this online devotional without obligation when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is author, speaker, apologetics expert, I would say, Sean McDowell, who is with us. How do you self-title yourself, Sean? Oh, I usually just put uh, professor, speaker, author, after I put Christ follower, husband, and dad. Yeah. Tell me about your family real quick. Sure. I've been married to my high school sweetheart who grew up in the same town I did up in the mountains in San Diego. We've been married uh, almost 18 years next month. We got three kids. My son, Scotty, is 13 years old. He's in eighth grade really into basketball. My daughter is 10, almost 11, competing level seven gymnastics. She loves it. In fact, during this interview, she's in the other room watching gymnastics videos. <laughs> and then I have a son, five, uh, Shane, who will be in kindergarten next year, who's just funny, cute, and just full of life. Oh, that's fabulous. I remember watching you playing high school basketball up in Julian back in the day. And, and I even saw one of your Biola college games uh, along with your da- your proud dad one evening. So that was great. Well, you know, he just really set a good example, as busy as he was, of carving out things that were important. I think my senior year, he missed one of my basketball games. In fact, one time, Wayne, he flew home from Russia, (laughs) drove up to Julian, came to my game, turned around and took a red-eye flight back to Russia just to get my game. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I want to talk about a new project you're working on, but one new thing is uh, you and your dad have released a new edition of Evidence That Demands a Verdict, I understand. Yeah, that's right. This is clearly, along with More Than a Carpenter, my father's just defining book. I think it's been translated 40-plus languages, 4 million copies worldwide. It's just been a book which... He, when he set out to disprove Christianity, ended up being surprised by the evidence, becoming a Christian, he started to speak. This is like back in probably the 60s. Just put a little packet of his evidence together in like a 14-page, sold it as when he spoke, and it just sold like gangbusters. So puts it into a book, and nobody wanted it because of the style of the book. No publishers did. But as soon as it came out, it was an instant bestseller. And he updated it. He first wrote in 72, updated in the 80s, updated in the 90s. The last update was almost two decades ago. And now that I'm teaching as a professor, he asked me to come alongside him and lead a research team of three dozen uh, grad students, about a dozen leading scholars, and said, let's respond to the biggest objection against evidence. Let's list the most recent evidences that are out there. Let's make the strongest case we can. So in one volume, parents, teachers, pastors, students, teenagers could have an accessible way, the most powerful evidence that Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible's true, Jesus claimed to be God, we can trust the Old Testament. So it's 700, almost 800 pages. But now that it's out, I'm really proud of it. We're getting great feedback from people. Well, something else that's brand new is a uh, a, a curriculum, I guess you would call it, called Advocates that you've done in association with Awana. And that's what I really want to focus in now for a few minutes uh, with you on. Uh, Tell me about Advocates. What is it? Who is it for? And what's the relationship with Awana? So I've been working with students for about two decades. And I've done some writing, speaking, and smaller curriculums. But I've always wanted to make a comprehensive, in-depth, top-quality resource where the students that I can't personally have in the classroom, I could teach them systematically through what is truth, what is faith, how do we know God exists, why does God allow evil, is the Bible true, did Jesus rise from the grave, all these tough questions in an extensive, just careful, high-quality resource. Well, 
I didn't really have the funds or the opportunity to do it. And a few years ago, uh, some of the leadership in Awana came to me. And of course, I've heard of Awana. They have a worldwide influence and really just a reputation of that just uh, an impeccable reputation of commitment to the scriptures, discipleship. And they came to me and said, we have a high school ministry. And I didn't even know they had a high school ministry, but they have an extensive high school ministry, huge influence, U.S. and beyond. And we're redoing our curriculum into four one-year kind of cycles. The first year is discipleship with Josh Griffin, who's a download youth ministry. The second year, we want to do apologetics and worldview. Will you partner with us to create this series that's the best thing out there for students? Well, I was like, man, you had me at hello. I'm totally <laughs> in. Are you kidding me? That's right up your alley, isn't so, it? <laughs> so they put curriculum writers, graphic designers, all sorts of resources. And I'm telling you tens of thousands of dollars behind this to create the best apologetics resource. Now, it's used in some Christian schools. It's used in homeschools and by families, but it's designed first for like the youth group who wants to go 32 weeks and walk kids through how they can know and defend the faith and put that truth into action. Well, Awana is known for uh, helping uh, children hide the word in their hearts and minds, and and that's uh, very important. But this is, uh, as I understand you talk about it, it's more for, for uh, high school teens? That's right. This is for 9th through 12th. Now, I think someone a little younger and older could benefit from it if they had someone walk it through it. But the target would be ninth through twelfth graders. All right, and Awana is really carrying the the uh, responsibility to really get this done, right? Oh yeah, let me tell you, they first flew out, and we sat down for a few days and said, "All right, we've got thirty two weeks. What do we teach? What's the scope and sequence? What lessons do we cover? What passages do we study? What videos are we going to make? Where are we going to shoot these videos? Who do we get to write and produce this? I mean, we spent days and days." probably weeks when it's all said and done producing this. And that's why I can stand back and just say there's nothing like it in terms of its scope and its quality and I think relevance for students. So it's an entire curriculum, including videos, which I understand that you are a part of. That's right. So each week we basically have an individual Bible study. We have a lesson for youth pastors to take the students through, which includes a video. And then we have these workbooks that someone can daily have a 10 to 12, 15-minute exercise that reinforces the truth of that week. But it's really the video that, to me, is pretty awesome. So we really carefully thought through, where are we going to film some of these? So I'll tell you some of the cool places we went to. There's one lesson on monotheism. What does it mean to believe in one God? Well, we go on top of a mountain in Southern California And I film it up there because you think of Moses and Jesus and even Mohammed, the leaders of these monotheistic faiths, claiming or getting revelation on top of a mountain. When we talk about pantheism, we go into the forest because you see movies like Avatar with Mm -hmm. trees and the forest and Pocahontas. So we film it there. We talk about beauty and how there's objective beauty in the world, which points towards a divine artist. We film it in a rose garden. We have a section on story where we talk about how our lives are a part of a story. And we always tell stories. Maybe that is because we live in a universe that really is a part of a story. So we film that in a movie theater. So I can tell you, Wayne, these videos were so carefully thought through. And the filming is top quality, where what we say is reinforced by where I'm actually saying it. So it's kind of a holistic way of teaching worldview. Sounds very creative, uh, Sean. 
I know it's through Awana. Can parents use How is it intended to be used? Can parents use this? Is it only in schools? Is it only in Awana programs? How can it be used? So anybody can use it, but the best part about it is it's made for students. But we wanted to do it in a way where we raise the bar with what's often expected from students, but it's doable. It's not over their heads. But what happens is now because we're going into depth on the resurrection or the problem of evil, the parent or the youth pastor or the pastor or just the volunteer in the church who teaches this to students doesn't have to be the expert, but the person who teaches it is going to learn his or her worldview through the process. So for us, it's kind of a way of maximizing the training that we're doing. So I want to tell parents, if they hear the word apologetics or youth pastors hear evidence for the resurrection, they feel intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Hmm. You don't have to be the expert. You will develop your worldview as if you were taking a class in college, because the best way to learn something is to teach it. So designed for churches, but homeschool families have used it. Christian school families have used it individuals have used it just to mentor even a handful of kids. Well, we will have more information about it on our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com, and I'll make sure that that's there for listeners to follow up on to learn more about advocates. As a professor, Sean, you have to know that uh, biblical illiteracy is a real problem among young people, isn't it? Well, there's a recent study by Barna with my friend Jonathan Morrow at, at Impact 360, and they looked at this Generation Z, and they showed that biblical illiteracy continues to increase with this generation. In the past, people could get away with it because at least on the surface of culture, culture agreed with the Christian worldview. People didn't always follow it. But now we have a worldview that flies directly in the face of biblical teaching, especially on sexual issues. So now if you think the Bible's true, you're bigoted, you're intolerant, you're hateful. So what's happening is this lack of biblical literacy that we failed to really teach in the church is now coming to the surface. And we're seeing more and more people describe themselves as nuns. We're seeing some young kids leave the faith. And I think those in the faith not live with the power of the faith because they're just not grounded in God's word. That's why teaching apologetics worldview and in particular biblical literacy, how to understand the Bible is as important, if not more, than it has ever been in the church. Well, Sean, it's been a delight to catch up with you and learn about advocates and all that's going on. As we close, is there a, a passage of Scripture, a verse that's on the tip of your tongue that just uh, just means it a lot to you personally right now? Well, my favorite verse in uh, Hebrews 10.39, it says, For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. One of the most important things we need today is a boldness and confidence in the gospel. And I found that young people and adults in the church only have that boldness when they know what they believe, why they believe it. That's what gives us boldness. That's why we did this series on apologetics, to give kids boldness to live out the gospel. And we will have information about this series from Awana called Advocates at FirstPersonInterview.com. Our guest has been Sean McDowell, who, along with others, has created this curriculum. Once again, it's called Advocates, and you'll find links at firstpersoninterview.com. Each week, we meet people who have a story to tell of how faith in Christ calls them to a unique place of service in the kingdom. These interviews are made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC understands the power of personal stories and invites you to receive a free 30-day online devotional telling stories of listeners around the world who tune in and hear the gospel proclaimed. 
together with Scripture, these stories will stir your heart and tell you what God is doing in many hard-to-reach places of the world through FEBC. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.